Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk to Brigitta and we're going to talk to Brigitta because she's an innovation expert. And we're going to talk to her about how she works with corporates, with incumbents, when it comes to design thinking, DeFi, Metaverse, and ESG investing or sustainability. A lot of hot topics that sometimes maybe the incumbents are not ready to tackle on their own. So this is where Brigitta comes in. Where are you, where are you connecting from today? Hi, thanks a lot for inviting me. I'm connecting from Zurich. And how are you today? I'm great. Um, actually, I'm traveling tomorrow to Berlin and I'm already very excited to reconnect again with one of my favorite uh, capital in Europe. And I'm looking forward to getting to our discussion. Brilliant. So let's start at the beginning. What is your background? How did you get to do what you do today? Mm-hmm. It's a very good question. So I have about 17 years of um, international business experience. I was also in pharma, corporate finance, and wealth management. And after, let's say, financial crisis, I increasingly moved into business transformation, and especially to how to create organizations which are much more human-centric and uh, customer-centric. So I was also started to educate C-level managers, but also their teams, how to basically improve their innovation capabilities in the organization. It was quite a long journey for me. So I had also to educate myself. I visited different schools also, for example, in, in Berlin to continuously kind of try out new ways what actually can work in a corporate setting. So in 2018, then I decided to set up my own company. So I moved from an kind of a internal corporate innovation manager position to an external innovation consultant. And then since then, I work with big financial services, uh, pharma companies, but also with startup and uh, kind of a fintech incubator to kind of enhance also in Switzerland, this um, innovation ecosystem. I know you as an expert on design thinking. For me, design thinking is maybe sometimes overused phrase, customer centricity these days. But you mentioned banks and you've been working in Switzerland. So you've been working with many banks in the country and also abroad. How would you assess the customer centricity among the incumbent banks? And maybe today and a few years back, have things improved because of the neo banks and the competition from fintechs or not really? It's a very good question because I think I started to tackle this problem sometimes back in 2015 when um, we set up a digital lab in one of the um, biggest bank in Switzerland uh, for wealth management clients. And I have to say back then we had like little knowledge about how to really build like innovative digital products, which clients really enjoy. 
And it took actually a lot of experimentation and obviously learning to, to get to that space. And when I talked about uh, to banking executives about design thinking, at the beginning, they found it something like very esoteric uh, topic. And they've Basically, they felt like that, yeah, we just need to know our products. We need basically financial experts. Everything else is going to come together. And this is so far removed from the reality. And now, let's say seven years after this experience, what I realized that most of the financial companies here, they have at least acknowledged. So there is a high, much higher acceptance and also awareness around humans, like customer centricity, like, for example, design thinking. And they already have certain teams working. So they all hired designers, design-led, UX, customer experience managers. But what is still missing, that it's still not like the key DNA of the organization. So scaling these functions across the organization, it still, I think, would be a next step. So what I would foresee and envision that also these um, kind of functions would be embedded across the organization and they would also sit at the table so that they can also participate much more from the early stage of the project and also in the decision making. So I think there is still a long way to go, but at least there is a much higher acceptance about this concept nowadays also due to yeah, now banks and also startups who eventually work in this way. And you mentioned that you obviously also spend time educating people on the topic, right? So what are some of the best resources when it comes to courses, books or design studios that where someone can learn about design thinking if they're just uh, new to this and they're based in Switzerland or elsewhere? What is the easiest and best way to get up to the learning curve quickly? Because, of course, the time passes us quite quickly. And I think if you are not on the top of this topic, then maybe you are missing out. I think maybe the first point is that I think design thinking and generally human-centric design concept, the best way to learn is actually doing it because it's really a transformative experience and this is also a mindset. So I suggest, or the way also how I did it, I always prefer kind of an in-person experience over actually an online or digital experiences. So if you if somebody wants to experience what design thinking or human-centric design really means, I highly recommend to take, let's say, a two or three days of in, in very intensive and immersive experience. And there are obviously great providers also in, in Switzerland, basically in the Dach region as well. So some of these studios, I don't want to make like a sales pitch uh, here, but for example, Brainbirds, it's a good studio who provides these experiences, but also Sparks Academy, which is actually like a spin-off from the ETH in Switzerland, just to name the few. Once kind of you do this immersive experience, then you can actually go a little bit more deeper. So there are a lot of online material. One of the obviously kind of a biggest studio in the world, and they also coined the term design thinking, was IDEO. It's from the US. They also have a fantastic uh, online academy from basically from the beginners until like also the advanced. So I would enhance or take some master classes in deep diving in certain area of design thinking. Also, there are books which I highly recommend once you already understand a little bit of a concept of design thinking, but the design thinking playbook. This is service design doing, which is 
little bit more on a UX design, but also the book from Jake Knopp from Google Ventures, which called Sprint or like the design sprint. I think it's also a great way of getting started. But the most important thing is that it's not only, it shouldn't be only a theory, but you should try to do even like very small project within a spare of your influence at work or at home, just to try out really how these concepts and tools and practices work, because this brings you into much more opting your uh, learning. And when it comes to idea, I think you meant designthinking.ideo.com, right? Yes. Okay. All right. And we'll put the links to the books as well in the show notes. Of mm -hmm. course. And yes, you caught me on this. You're absolutely right. Design thinking is about experience. So it's experiential. So therefore, first you learn by doing. And then, of course, if you want more context, you can read up on it. Correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely okay. choose it. this way. Yeah. Now, obviously, there are many other buzzwords that are flying around the financial services these days. And one of them is DeFi and Metaverse, mm -hmm. right? These are the hot topics. Are these the topics that banks can work on now or are they horizon three kind of problem? What do you think? What do you hear from your clientele? I, I just recently read a report from the Citibank on Metaverse and they estimate that the total addressable market on a broad terms of the Metaverse could be around 8 to 13 trillion US dollar by 2030, which is obviously huge. And I think what a lot of people do not realize about the metaverse itself, but in the future, how I foresee that we are not only going to visit the metaverse to socialize, like going to a concert, I don't know, a decentral land, but we also going to go to the metaverse also to earn and to transact. So the metaverse will be more related to this the ownership of digital assets and obviously digital identity across the cyberspaces. And this so borderless global ecosystem also needs a financial system which supports, which is also borderless and global. And our traditional financial system is not like that. So it's already being in the making. And obviously, it's still going to grow and evolve. So what I would say, and what I also tell my, my clients when we talk about this topic, that better start now than tomorrow. And you do not need to, it doesn't require a huge amount of capital of investment to start to get the ball rolling. But also, again, start small. So going back to design thinking and, and all these concepts, so like really starting small, piloting, testing, also iterating, learning, and then really see like where are the playing fields and opportunities where we want to be active. So when somebody asked me, okay, so what are the fields, like for example, where we can get into now? So it's, let's say not a horizon three, but what can we already start experimenting? Definitely integrating more the like a digital native asset classes into their into their offering of course more for targeting professional investors who also understand the needs that's why it's an alternative asset class but it definitely this is what it was what I'm hearing from the clients from financial institutions but also from the investors itself and then you can also think about extending your custody services towards the digital assets because 
clients would like to manage the entire basic life cycle of their digital assets and physical assets also in a consolidated platform. So I think this is also maybe a space where you can get in. And then when you think about, for example, asset management, because they definitely going to be disrupted in the future, more and more we see actually these digital native assets coming up. But they can already think of like tokenizing fund shares, which are tied directly to the underlying asset pools. We have smart contracts and then also replacing some of these traditional fund structures with this kind of fully customizable portfolio. So you can also actually reach maybe different like client base as well. And um, so I do see a couple of areas where you can already start working now. And this would be also my generally my recommendation for the financial services industry. I see, I see. And I know you're big on gadgets as well. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you gave me an idea about trying out the Insta360, the yeah. 360 camera, great fun. Can you give <laughs> us some examples where you worked with corporate clients on some of the metaverse applications already now? As you said, you better start mm-hmm. today than, than later. Is there anything tangible that without mentioning names you can mm-hmm. talk about? Yeah, actually, there are like three areas really on that on that front when it comes to metaverse. The, ver- the first is really around more future of work topic, because obviously after COVID, when the workforce is going back to work, still a lot of, of the workforce remains remote and increasingly everybody wants to also cut down on the traveling budget, but still you want to have a very engaged, collaborative and creative workforce. One of the things which we have been piloting with a financial institution is like working on the metaverse. So how this collaboration could look like uh, also in the future, which is definitely a much better place than being in a Zoom meetings. I think we all <laughs> get after a while a little bit enough being in a Zoom. So by having a much more realistic avatars as well. So when the technology is improving and increase, like increasingly improving, you also have a much more engaging experiences in the metaverse. So you can also, you know, include, for example, design thinking workshops in the metaverse with your team, which is also a great fun. You can do very easily prototyping, co-creation, collaboration. So this is actually one of the field. The second one is more on a client facing. So imagining actually sales and advisory services, how it would look like in the metaverse. Um, Again, following the COVID or during the COVID, a lot of financial institutions, they had an issue that they couldn't really connect at least physically or in person with their clients. Although, of course, they have uh, video conferencing and document sharing and such capabilities, but it still gives a different experience for the client when having the feeling almost to have, let's say, a face-to-face meeting with their advisors on a metaverse. And also the technology enables these advisors to basically enhance, like showing, for example, how the portfolio has been evolved in a very visual way for the clients, showing different scenarios, what could happen, making their kind of financial advices, kind of using also the metaverse capabilities. This is another area where I see that actually banks and financial institutions are also experimenting. 
Right. Of course, everybody went through Zoom fatigue, even though <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure, though, I would agree that I really want to see my banker in person, you know, <laughs> so I'm happy that, for example, UBS is offering video consultations now. Mm -hmm. And also in extended hours, even though, fine, it took two years, <laughs> but you can take an hour and you can have a, a consultation about your pension planning or what have you mm -hmm. over video, because I don't know what you would do in person. Maybe if you're a ultra high net worth clients, they can open up a champagne or something. But other than that, I don't know whether new generation also wants it. So I mm -hmm. think the AR, VR and the new generation of clients for banks i think that goes hand in hand right absolutely yeah they they don't definitely not don't want to have a red carpet <laughs> rolled in front of their legs anyway because the they park. know they pay for it anyway but what about DeFi, right i also mentioned DeFi is a buzzword but isn't DeFi going against the incumbents by definition how do corporate clients react to it when they hear this isn't DeFi about disrupting centralized banking setup that we have so far I would say it's definitely going to have a huge impact in the financial services because by definition, as you mentioned, uh, decentralized finance means that you remove control from banks and other uh, institutions which they have currently on money and uh, financial products and services. And I do foresee or kind of predict that DeFi will reduce the number of intermediates and also going to push the cost down, also making the banks and other financial uh, intermediaries much more lean. I think it's also going to push much better for operational kind of excellence with the banks as well. However, what I also think, or this is my perception kind of coming out from the wealth management area, that expertise and good advice will not go away and everything which you cannot create as a let's say as a commodity and also when we were <clears throat> back then when we were working together basically the next generation of the high net worth individuals like basically their kids their hairs and we run a lot of interviews as well i think what they still want to have is a trusted partner they need they want to know them they want to be educated they want to have a good feeling that they get a holistic basically wealth management services without any bullshit and i think it's also this trust factor is going to be still extremely important in the system especially you hear obviously a lot of scams going on which is a reality there is a lot of hacking attacks cyber security is a big topic so if you can create yourself in the market where you generate value and again going back to customer centricity so you generate value for your customers i think you can still find space in the ecosystem to add value all right so there is definitely future for banking and maybe for the banks as well one more thing which relates to corporate innovation does corporate innovation work at all or is it innovation theater all the time and if you think it can work sometimes what are the prerequisites for this to be a genuine effort by mm -hmm. corporates yeah, there's actually quite a lot of ups and downs also in my experience, in my career, because I think when we started off, I felt like sometimes that it's an innovation theater just to create awareness and educate people. And it was really hard for some time to, to show results. 
but on the other hand, it was also necessary. So I think paving the way for kind of a future innovation units or experimentation units, which I definitely see now, like after seven years, when I still work with the same client as an external, I see the huge shift in the mindset and also the improvement and also to realizing what actually works within the organization and what is better to be tackled outside. And I think this is the key thing that you have to set the right expectations and the right incentive. So if you want to create innovation within the organization, like involving the business areas, the business units as well, the best, let's say, problems and challenges to tackle are more related to incremental innovation because it's still somehow related to their businesses. You can use their knowledge, their expertise. And there I saw actually a lot of very successful um, projects, but these are primarily on how to to do things maybe different, better, how to serve better the clients, improve their experiences. Now, if you think about more, let's say, Horizon 3 type of experimental kind of innovation, I haven't really seen any good examples personally, which really worked within the organization. What I saw, which was quite successful with a couple of companies, is that you completely, let's say, kind of spin off like a a unit. You define a very clear innovation thesis for them and then vision, kind of a common goal. Like, for example, some of the like big German companies, which were primarily focusing on producing basically tools, now become a completely technology-driven, let's say, leader in the mobility or in or in a smart city area and that works but that for that they have to have like very clear incentive for that the meaning and a completely different funding structure as well like how these projects are funded and how do they measure basically this continuous like learning cycle so you have to give some time for for these units obviously to grow and to be able to show the successes but i don't think you can expect the same if you are doing basically if you are operating uh, kind of an innovation let's say unit embedded within the running businesses okay all right i think it sounds like basically you're advocating for spinning off the most innovative units, the ones that work with a different kind of horizon than BAU, right? Day-to-day business. So that's what some institutions tried and often it worked. Sometimes it didn't. So let's see. But you and I, we met as mentors at F10 and um, generally there are a lot of fintechs who are B2B fintechs. So what would you advise B2B fintechs that are trying to work with incumbents in financial services, what is the best way to talk to the right people and who are they? Because if you are a young founder, you obviously get a meeting with some big name firm. Is this somebody who can be your advocate within the organization? And uh, how do you find one? That's sometimes an issue when you look at things outside in, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think all the kind of startups I also work um, with, this is like a 
the big question, like how can we get into the right people and who are the right people? And of course, I'm a big advocate um, of accelerators and accelerator programs. We also met at um, F10 here in Zurich, and we also have a dedicated accelerator program, which we have created to eliminate some of these issues and prepare the startups as well to be able to sit together with the right people in the organization. So if you can plug yourself in such ecosystem, this can obviously open up doors for you, but you have to be prepared. I think it's every startup knows today, but still you always have to remind yourself that you have to understand the problems of the of that company. You have to understand really the business context. Before that, it's it's no they get contacted by thousands of different startups. So for them to be able to find out which is the one which actually solving their problem is not always easy. So you have to do your net, your basically homework. And once you convince them of your USP, you still need to be ready to answer some very pragmatic questions because sometimes these are also the blockers according to my experience. Imagine a person like you meet first, let's say somebody from an innovation department Uh, And that person needs to sell your startups, your product, your services internally to the business. And the business takes a little bit different. So you have to be able to also answer any concerns around security data, how you handle kind of client data, for example, connectivity, risk compliance, always a big topic. Any technical integrity, it's all important that you are actually ready to find a way how you can very easily with low costs as well and risk try and test your solution so you strive to to, to get to the POC on the shortest possible way. And you have to be to also answer these questions because then it can actually help you to open door. So the more kind of easier, also the kind of the integrity, the least risk you have, the easier you can actually get those those POC. And once you are in and you can run a POC, then of course it can create internally also a lot of like trust. So to get there, obviously networking, trying to find the right people in the market who are also very well connected. Also, for example, like innovation experts like myself who are directly working with corporates and understand maybe a little bit more intimately their problems. So it's also always important to have this exchange, but also going to events, conferences where you know that your target customers will be there so you can either showcase yourself or seek for a meaningful exchange most importantly, also just listen and learn before you actually bombard them with kind of a, you know, with your pitch deck. Right. So same as in design thinking, when you are applying it in B2C uh, context, yeah. you just focus on your customers, so solving the problem for them. It's going to be a lot of hard work, but hopefully it works out. And then in one go, you get to all of their end clients, right? So that is the price you're shooting for. Um, one other favorite topic of last couple of years, perhaps, is, has been sustainability. And I think everybody agrees that it, sustainability and ESG investing have entered mainstream investing a while ago now. But we still have issues with ESG investing when it comes to sustainability reporting or even greenwashing, right? What are the, some of the initiatives in Switzerland that you see that can address these issues or 
maybe that's not related necessarily to just one private player, but maybe it's the institutions or it's the government initiatives as well. I think the ideas can come from any place. What is your what are your thoughts on this? And what can we do as individuals to progress these topics more so that we don't um, end up being fooled by some of the greenwashing as well if we invest? No, you're absolutely right. Greenwashing is still um, an issue. And I have been recently participating in the Swiss Sustainable Finance meeting. And I was quite positively, it was not a surprise, informed about that the Swiss Federal Council is their vision is that they make Switzerland a global leader for sustainable finance. So this is actually on top of their agenda. And this also means that they're going to use their power as a governing power to also, if necessary, force financial intermediaries to adopt certain measures to be able to basically also in the future that financial products are more much more comparable and they are using more kind of meaningful um, and measurable indicators to really measure what is the sustainability impact of a portfolio or of a fund. For example, what is the implied temperature increase? So something which is really measurable, meaningful, people understand, and also really comparable across the portfolios. And this is also the direction it goes. Uh, It will be also then audited by FINMA. So they really try to crack down or make an end of greenwashing, which I think it's extremely positive. They also collaborate together with the Green Digital Fintech Alliance. It's also very active in Switzerland and the Swiss Green Fintech Network. And beside that, from 2022, the largest um, Swiss banks and insurance companies, they have to also comply with the much more rigid stringent disclosure requirements so they have to create transparency or or better transparency around what is the climate related risk in their balance sheet which is still very substantial some of these disclosures are already available in sustainability reports from these banks and insurance companies but they need to also kind of provide then transition plan how do they are planning to reduce that so obviously we all know and we hear from the news that swiss banks are still financing basically new oil field explorations they are also heavily invested in mining and such very climate sensitive also industries and the transition is still going to take a couple of years but we also have to realize that these companies are also joined into the net zero that they actually pledged the net zero commitment so by 2030 and then 2050 they have to significantly reduce their exposure as well so in in both sides managing the risks but the other side also creating much more transparency towards towards the investors so in terms of what can we do uh, well i think 
just keep up the pressure uh, also on these institutions. I think uh, investor activism is very important as well so that we also voice our, our concerns because the more concerns is coming from the civil society, the more also banks and other financial institutions, they need to also comply. And also there is much more regulatory, also new regulatory requirements are going to be uh, elected as well. So I think it's going into that direction. And don't feel, let's say, stupid asking questions from your advisors and also challenge them and basically looking really into your portfolio, what is it, and being yeah more critical as well to explain why, for example, Glencore is a sustainable company <laughs> in some of the ESG reports, which I read. Okay. It's been a great time talking to you as always. Before we wrap up, I just have one easy question. What's the best way to reach out and what kind of parties would be the most relevant for you? Um, so you, you can find me um, in LinkedIn. I'm actually very active. I also have my websites, createlin.com. And you can also find all my availabilities. I think the best way is really LinkedIn uh, to reach out to me also by email or by phone. I'm primarily working with companies, so less with individuals. If you are a mid-sized company, but also multinational, I have different learning journeys. I help, obviously, building further the innovation capabilities of the organizations and also help them to explore new businesses and new business models and of course helping as well to connect with, with with startups if this is the best way to go ahead i think i bring a lot of experience in that field and i would be really happy also to exchange uh, some of these topics which we discussed today and help you to take the next steps brilliant well, thank you so much and good luck to you brigitta and krablin thank you so much and thanks a lot for being able to be here with you today Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at voiceoffintech.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you.